Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So, for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, everyone. I'm John Verhoeven, and I was a cop back in Sydney in the 80s. And I'm Paul Verhoeven, John's son. I'm an author, and I wrote two books about Dad's time as a cop. The first five seasons of Loose Units spanned my time in general duties, forensics, my time as a firefighter, and even my stint running a funeral home. But this season, we're visiting the locations of Australia's most notorious, baffling, horrific crimes, and looking at what happened there. From Snowtown to the family, from the Morehouse murders to haunted highways, This season of Loose Units is your go-to guide to the worst crimes in Australian true crime history. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. It was the 10th of November 1955 and a merchant ship called the Tuvalu was headed to Suva, which is the capital of Fiji, in the South Pacific. And the captain of the ship saw something very odd. It was a ship floating out at sea and it was tilting so heavily to one side that the rails on that side were actually dipping in and out of the ocean. Now that ship was the MV Joyita, which is basically a fishing vessel slash charter ship slash pleasure boat, which was basically making the rounds uh, around Samoa. And the weird thing about it is the crew was completely gone. This story has been described by many as the Mary Celeste of the South Pacific. Now, it was heading into uh, New Zealand territory, an island territory in New Zealand, actually, an island called Tokelau, and it never arrived, and it had several New Zealanders on the ship. Now, we've been dealing a lot with Australian true crime, and we've been dealing a lot with international true crime, and in my search to find a story in New Zealand, I was trying to avoid stories, Dad, that were just women being murdered, or, you know, the same old kind of tragic fare, and I came across this bizarre... Story, did you know about this ship missing before we talked about it? No, but I've always, well, for many, many years, known about the famous Mary Celeste, mm. which is an extraordinary story that happened in the Bermuda Triangle. Right. And this is sometimes known as the Mary Celeste of the South Pacific. And mm-hmm. I had never heard of it. And when you notified me and said, Dad, let's just go down this rabbit hole. Yep. Uh, I love rabbit holes, even though technically it's not a rabbit hole because it's at sea. Uh, so rabbits just wouldn't be able to survive because it'd be very watery, the hole. <laughs> but Paul, I love it. I love it. I, I'm stoked. It's a great story. And I think our uh, listeners, um, I think they're going to get a bit of a... Because there are so many different theories about... Mm. It's just a, it's a bizarre story. But I think we need to go back in time... To do you know why it was called Joyita? Yeah, it was named uh, Joyita means little jewel in Spanish, and 
Yeah, so there's a film director over in Hollywood, mm. abominably rich. Mm. And in 1931, he names this boat after his wife, Jewel mm. Carmen, right? right? And then right. it gets bought by a guy called Milton E. Beacon. And it sort of just becomes this boat that you can hire. Um, it's 69 feet long. Uh, it weighed 47 tons. And one of the weird quirks of its design, Dad, was that it was incredibly buoyant. Uh, now, yeah, I don't want to say unsinkable, mm. but... Mm. No, that's fascinating. But you mentioned 69 feet long. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of the numbers that I do know in French. Soixante neuf. You didn't know I spoke French, did you? You don't speak... Well, when you get overseas, Dad, you stubbornly refuse to speak the language and now I hear you speaking French. So I'm wondering why you didn't when you were over there. <laughs> yeah. I studied French when I lived in England and German. Yeah. Was that when and- you were um, a, a world-celebrated trumpeter? Paul. <laughs> Listen to me. Yeah. I was a bloody good trumpeter. I know. My mother cries whenever she hears someone playing the trumpet well. Yeah, well, that's because it reminds her of what could have been. I'm curious because you played on uh, a cruise liner. I did. Which is also a kind of ocean boat. So do you want to use that segue to pop back on topic? Okay, but it's quite fascinating because listeners may recall that I played the trumpet at an adults only sort of restricted show of Cinderella. Mm -hmm. And I was 12. Yep. I was probably the only trumpeter on board. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I had my own trumpet with me, obviously. And I got to play the fanfares, but they wouldn't let me see the nude women on stage, so they just cut a hole in the in the in the in some sort of drapery and let me stick the bell of my trumpet through it. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, but you could then use you could just pull the bell out and look through. I could have. I th- I'm sure I would have because I. But- It's an honor system, Dad. It's an honor system. Correct. Uh, Let's get back to the boat. So, Mm. it's very long. Uh, It gets purchased by the US Navy in 1941 Mm. uh, and becomes like just a regular patrol boat. And it was used for patrols around uh, Pearl Harbor Islands. What? Pearl Harbor. Really? Okay. I think so. Yeah. No, it's... Okay. Because they were short of craft. They, they, during the war, you know, they, Mm. they, 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 what they do, they second a a lot of, um, you know, private craft. Yeah. Because they, they, they can't just all of a sudden, there's a war, let's just start making lots and lots of ships. Ships take a long, long time to build. Yeah. And this ship, it it, it had lots of dramas in its life, and they, they generally refer to ships, as I'm sure most listeners know, as they refer to them in the female gender. She, yes. She, she. It's always a she. But then, of course, what can happen with ships, if they have a bit of a sort of a some bad things happening and lots of things happen to this ship over a long period of time. It becomes a cursed ship. Cursed ship. And look, it had all sorts of dramas, but one of the things that is kind of weird that sort of, they wanted to create this uh, insulation in terms of refrigeration. So Mm -hmm. what they did, and I've never heard of this happening before, but they lined the hull with, you know what, Paul? Cork. Now, that would explain the freakish buoyancy I uh, implied That's before. Right. Yes, yeah. yes. So they lined it with cork, not knowing that that would have a very um, you know, major role to play in its future. Now, on this particular time, this, this, this day, they set out with, I think it was 27 people. Well, just quickly, so you mentioned the cork mm. and the extra buoyancy, right? Mm. 
So that was in 1948. It had a refit. So basically, mm. um, after the war, uh, they yanked all the Navy equipment out and uh, sold it onto a private owner who then did the cork refit that you mentioned. And I'm mm. really curious as to why more boats aren't lined with cork. So that's in 48. Uh, four years later in 1952, the ship gets uh, handed off to its final owner. And its final owner, his name was Captain Thomas Henry Dusty Miller, mm-hmm. born in England, um, living in Samoa at the time. Uh, I've, I'm looking at a photo of him right now, actually. Good style of a bloke. Yeah, and he used the boat for all the things it was used for at that time. Uh, he used it for, you know, shipping expeditions, uh, fishing expeditions, chartered, uh, chartered, not flights, the opposite, um, you know. And then he would basically just, you know, you could pay him to ferry mm. things around the islands. But Paul, that was problematic insofar as the, this particular journey, he yeah. was licensed to carry mm-hmm. goods. He obviously had a fairly big crew. Yeah, Most of them were you know, locals from Fiji and surrounding islands. But one of the problems was his license to operate that vessel did not allow him to charge paying customers. Right, because he had a lot of cargo. He had four tons of timber, food, oil, medical supplies. But then on top of that, like you said, 16 crew, nine passengers. I'm Mm. looking at this boat. Not only is that snug, but you're saying he was doing two things at once and he wasn't allowed to do was the was not allowed to, to, to charge, um, you know, let's say just call them um, members of the public, mm-hmm. f- sort of full, fair paying passengers. He couple was of kids not allowed, too. A couple of kids, he wasn't allowed to charge them. Okay. And there are many, many stories uh, about the relationship between the captain mm-hmm. uh, slash owner and the first mate. Uh And there were all sorts of other problems. You may recall when the Navy stripped the ship. Okay. Now, a lot of the the piping within ships is made of copper. However, when they refitted the ship with certain valves down in the engine room, they used galvanized steel. Now, is that a weight problem or is it a decay problem? Well, yes, it's a rust problem. Okay. So they, they took shortcuts. And because you're talking about an environment that if you wanted to think about corrosion, it's the, it's the most magnificent environment for things to corrode. Hence, you should use copper and stainless steel. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether you've ever seen any of the footage of these luxury you know, super yachts and you go down into the engine rooms and they are beyond immaculate. There's no, right. they're, they're, just, they're just beautiful. And it's all stainless steel, obviously because of the corrosion thing, but they, they sort of... Um, did it on the on on the cheap, mm-hmm. not knowing that in the future a problem would manifest itself over a long period of time, and it was basically something happening to the pipes that no one really noticed. I guess you could say it's perhaps like going bald. You don't notice the daily hair loss. Maybe some people do. But then if someone sees you after not seeing you for, say, several years and they just mm-hmm. see you and they see you've got no hair, yeah, and they go, wow, you're bald. That metaphor flies much higher and farther if the pipes were on top of the boat. Good good call. But I, no, no, but I, I understand what you mean. So basically, a thing that is pretty obvious happening very slowly over time so mm. that people probably... Yeah, you know at the back of your television or whatever where you have a tangle of mm. cords yeah. and it's... Out of sight, out of mind. You have a system and it works for you, but God, if there was a fire, you'd be fucked. No, you're right, you're right. And so, Paul, this is is interesting because an 
Now, bearing in mind, it's it's one of those great things. It's like the Titanic. Mm. They had the those sort of walls, and what happens is one of them, if there's if it sort of hits an iceberg or there's a major leak, water fills up this particular cavity. Yeah. But they never believed with the Titanic that it, it would happen. It, they thought it was unsinkable. Yeah. They didn't seal the tops of all. The, the sort of the compartments. So what happened was one compartment filled in the Titanic. Mm-hmm. It then went all the way up to the top, rolled down, filled the second, rolled up, filled the third, ship sinks. But with this particular ship, they also uh, didn't imagine that, you know, they just didn't do things properly in terms of the sinkability, uh, mm-hmm. apart from the foam. But then they struck... They believe that they struck some some pretty wild seas, and one of the major problems that is very interesting is that there was actually a break in the cord or the wiring mm. on the radio, and what they'd done over years, and what a lot of people do, and perhaps on ships, they painted over the problem, and there were only a few tiny strands of copper wire that were still connecting the the radio to the antenna. So on that fateful day when they would have tried to make a mayday call, assuming that's this is sort of following just one theory, mm-hmm. they've they've calculated because they examined uh, later on, because there was an inquiry, of course, and they found out that because of the tiny amount of copper wiring that was just left and linked, the message could have only travelled two to three miles. And, of course, there was no one around. But based on the hypothesis that did they or did they not try and seek help? They did. Well, because the radio was actually, when they found the the boat, uh, the recovery team found that the radio was actually tuned to 2182 kilohertz. Correct. Which apparently is the International Marine Distress Signal. So they were were trying to get help at the time. They were. But then, of course, no one really knows... What happened? Now, there are quite a few theories. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the lead theories of the day that actually made the front page of the Suva Times in Fiji, at that time, there was great consternation with mm-hmm. the Fijians in relation to Japanese fishing. And they believed that the, the Japanese were encroaching on their waters and they had um, intelligence from the United States uh, military mm-hmm. that there had in fact been a flotilla of Japanese shipping, uh, Japanese fishing boats in that vicinity. One theory espoused by historians is that that ship, uh, the ship with the 27 on board, may have witnessed something that the Japanese flotilla weren't happy with. They may have been boarded, they may have been executed or taken prisoner. To me, I don't buy that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's a few odd things that were found that I don't know if they line up with that, but... um. There were apparently some signs of violence. There were, so there were there was there was a doctor on the passenger manifest, right? Yes, yeah. I say manifest, but really it was off the books. Mm. So there's a doctor, and his bag was open, mm. and there were um, some bloody bandages, scalpel, stethoscope, a bunch of other you know kind of instruments lying mm. around. Mm. There was a broken deck house window, actually multiple windows. Mm. Um, the uh, ship's bridge had been smashed up. Yes, and so- what about Paul? They got a mattress. They when they boarded the ship. Five weeks later, they found a mattress down in the engine room covering a lot of the area where they believed the water would have been coming through. I mean, it's kind of crude and desperate to get a mattress downstairs to sort of slow the leak. They Mm. didn't know that the ship would actually not sink, which is kind of sad in a way because in hindsight, Mm. we have to ask ourselves what happened to... The twenty-seven people. Did the engine was the engine working? It it. You know, here's another thing, listeners. Yeah. When they left, one of the engines just didn't work. Okay. So he was irresponsible on many many levels. There was still fuel in the tank. There was um, a lot of that, fuel in the tank. And they're only about fifty miles from their destination. Mm. I look. Let's say the boat is completely immobile, right? Mm. I mean, yep. let's say it can't move. You've mm. got fuel, but the boat can't move. Mm. Your radio can't get to anybody. Mm. Why send everyone out in boats? Why not send one boat the last 40 miles? Do you well, know what I mean? Yeah, but, but the, the, they know that the weather was bad. They okay. also know that it was found 1,000 miles off course. But as we know in relation to things that float in the ocean, mm-hmm. um, I, um, you know, I'm of the opinion that that's, that's not exceptional. A thousand nautical miles, of course. And during the search for the vehicle, uh, the the boat at, at that point in time, the the um, New Zealand Air Force mm-hmm. they covered one hundred thousand square miles of ocean and couldn't find it, which is quite quite extraordinary, based on the the 
the the mapping and the weather and the climate and the wind and all that sort of thing figuring out it was going from a to b where it should have been it wasn't it was it was accidentally come across five weeks later and it was as you know it's it's it, it was tilting or lilting dramatically and there's a very interesting photograph of two men on the high side of the deck they've climbed on board and the boat it was never ever going to sink anymore because also aside from the cork it had a it it had something like 40 40 gallon drums that were empty remember that they were on deck and they are just empty so they're full of air so the whole thing's kind of and they would have been lashed down so you've created this sort of situation but would you like me to hear would you like to hear my theory as to what happened i believe that was a terribly scary night and it is scary being at sea in the dark the i mean you've got some young kids on board i mean it's it's a small boat it would have been rocking violently i mean i've been on ocean liners in the atlantic ocean in big big 60 70 foot wave like swells and it's it's horrific and scary and a lot of people are thinking you know this is it so they're on a small boat it's dark and one engine fails, uh, or they left with one engine, which is kind of weird. Then the second engine fails. Then the boat starts to take on water. They've run downstairs. They've dragged this mattress trying to sort of... You can't get to the actual leak because there's already water. You're not going to sort of in the dark, you know, assuming you'd have a waterproof torch and goggles. You're not going to dive down into this into this engine room full of water. Uh, it, you've got to act quickly. They had a few lifeboats and I believe that they all, uh, I believe the captain most likely, as is generally the case, would have been the last person to get off and they got everyone in the boats and they just pushed off and they're in the middle of nowhere, big seas. I've had a look at the boats. Uh, They were like a military issue boat, Uh, quite interesting special name for the boat that I don't quite recall, Paul, uh, but worth looking into. And it would have been terrible. And they would have, because they believed the boat was going to sink. The, the, the terrible thing about this story, and I've been thinking about it quite a bit, is that in theory, and it's a very, very stressful situation, but what would have been good if they could have tied a rope to the boat and this is going to sound a bit weird. Of course, it's with the benefit of hindsight. Here am I sitting in Sydney in 2022, looking back on this tragic event. People screaming, people just terrified. You know, you wonder whether they even had lights. Uh, pitch black. Seas terrible. You're jumping off something that's sinking, but you think it's sinking. But I, in theory, would love to have tied a rope off onto the boat and then had a knife, of course, and then got everyone else to sort of link up and just wait and not drift off into the into the abyss. And if they had have done that by morning, mm-hmm. they would have realised the ship didn't sink and they actually could have all got back on board, even though it was um, sort of tilting somewhat. But that did not happen. Now, here lies... The big mystery. What happened to the four tons? That's four 
thousand kilos, that is the equivalent of at least four to five motor cars. Mm-hmm. What happened to all that stuff? It's clearly uh, when they found the boat five weeks later, they boarded the ship and everything was gone. So this is when it gets interesting. Was the ship boarded? Were the people... I don't think they were they were massacred because there would have been... They only found a little bit of blood on the deck. Although having said that, the weather was terrible. Was it mm-hmm. raining? Did the rain and the sea and the waves and the spray and the swell just wash everything, like basically wipe the decks? Probably not because there's still blood and bandages in one particular area. To me, that indicates that someone was injured um, and perhaps the doctor tended to their wounds. Uh, that could have happened before this whole thing started. Mm-hmm. Um, if the boat was boarded, it doesn't make sense to board a boat that's tilting. So, so it's, is it possible the boat was? Look, this is okay. Let's say they're boarded. Let's say it's maybe uh, the, the Japanese fishing vessel theory. Not that I'm saying it is that, but it, you know, let's let's say it is. Mm. It gets boarded. Supplies get taken, and then let's say the captain tries to stop uh, whoever's doing it. And then he gets, you know, clocked over the head, mm. starts bleeding. They, the, the, the people leave, the captain's injured, the doctor tries to tend to his wounds, um, a storm's coming, the boat's mm. uh, stopped, they're screwed. Um, at which point, uh, the uninformed passengers without the captain's, you know, maybe they try and get him on the... You know you know what I'm saying? It's, it's mm. possible that everything just turned to shit very fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically. Could have. Um, there could have been... There are also theories about um, a mutiny... Mm-hmm. Uh, which is not uncommon, particularly, you know, in, in many, many centuries gone by. There were mutinies were, were a regular occurrence. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, because you'd go crazy on a boat. But this is not that situation. This is not, it's, it's a short trip. I don't believe that. What I believe is that the boats were set adrift and either A, it's kind of, it, it's a little bit odd to think that every single boat and every person died, but not implausible. Mm. Um, and it's terribly sad and tragic. I'm just trying to put myself in the shoes, having drowned, almost drowned <clears throat> a few times. It's terrible. Um, in relation to the four tons, I, I surmise my theory is that another vessel, mm-hmm. long after the event, has come oh. by, seen the boat... Got on board and just helped themselves to everything. You think someone basically not grave robbed, but you think somebody came along and saw the boat unoccupied and full of cargo, uh, yeah, pilfered and, it, and and, and, and clearly uh, unoccupied and clearly in a precarious state. Mm. And I think they, uh, you know, it would have, it would have been a, a big exercise. We're talking a boat of at least the same size, but probably a lot bigger. And it's the spoils of. Of the sea, uh, it's, certain, it's, but they certainly wouldn't have put any of the cargo on the boats. Obviously, right? No, I believe no, not a chance. Okay, that these boats were. That, you're not thinking about getting. Look, you might have some some rations in in today's world where you look at all these boats on board. You know, like a P and O cruise ship. Mm-hmm. When you do your drills, those those boats have got supplies on board and they're checked regularly. They are designed, and and might I say, they're watertight. So no matter what happens, you could have a tidal wave pick you up and just drop you and spit you and spin you around, and you, mm. it's going to be shitty, and there's going to be a lot of 
a lot of vomit inside that capsule and it's going to be pretty rotten and you're not going to be able to hang hang your ass out the side and, and shit you're going to be it's all going to be one big communal affair but I don't think you really care about that because you want to survive because the will to survive is bloody powerful um, so I believe that all the all the gear was simply stolen what what does kind of sort of amaze me a little bit is that it's quite uh, a well-reported and quite a famous story even though I hadn't heard of it and you'd think that someone even today would have a relative that would actually have discussed with family that the fact that they'd boarded this boat and just basically taken and then I, I guess you've got to ask yourself is that technically theft I guess mm-hmm. you could say it's theft by finding but but the laws on the ocean on the on the big seas you know international maritime law is is very different to land-based law and um, I just I lament what I, what I I guess I'd like to in my a part of my brain wants to think that maybe they all got to an island mm-hmm. and maybe they're all living there uh, and they're, they're all inbreeding and they've created this race of odd people. It's uh, one of the one of the stupidest things you've ever said. Oh, just one of one of. Thanks, Paul. Coming from you, that's. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I agree it sounds slightly silly, but... Uh, there were some rumours, I mean, there's been unsubstantiated, completely unsubstantiated rumours of sightings of the captain, of Miller. Mm. Um, the ca- the cargo is a big problem for me. Mm. There were newspapers in Suva, in Fiji, that claimed that the crew had been killed by somebody. Mm. The whole thing is just absolutely bizarre. I mean, 25 people, right? Mm. Completely missing, October 1955. Nobody actually knows what happened, uh, and I don't think there's really any way. I mean, there's rumors about a Soviet sub, mm, yep. which I think is just bizarre. There's, as far as the, the Japanese fishers go, obviously, post-World War II, a shitload of anti-Japanese sentiment floating around, you mm. know. It's mm. very easy to kind of throw, you know, right. racial stuff in the mix. Mm. and that's Yeah, maybe, maybe they were all picked up by a Japanese ship, and maybe they were treated very well and maybe mm. they're living in some town in japan uh again they've, they've you know they've sort of interacted and and you know become who knows we can only hope but strange dad, stranger things have happened stranger things have happened dad i want to um wrap this story up on a on a point which leads us to next week's story okay mm. so the film director roland west the one who commissioned uh the building of this boat he uh has been a murder suspect in a couple of strange cases, uh, his mistress Thelma Todd was murdered, and he was a suspect. And uh, next week we are going to look into the death of Thelma Todd, the actress who uh, the the director who commissioned this boat from this story was actually involved in. And we're going to look into his extremely mysterious death. Paul, love it. I- I cannot tell you how odd this case is. So I was researching this case and the thing that struck out to me was that Roland West is a super shonky character who not only was a suspect in a murder, but now people are saying, what if he was on the boat? Mm. And what if that's... Anyway, it's fascinating. It's really fascinating. So next week we are going to be looking into the strange story, this strange, potentially true story uh, of Roland Van Zimmer, born to a theatrical family in Ohio, a uh, prolific film director... And uh, potentially a murderer. So I've got maps of the locations of the murders. I've got all kinds of reports. It's going to be a really strange week. So follow us down the rabbit hole next week on Loose Units, The Shadow Files. In the meantime, if you have any theories about what happened to the MV Joyita, 
or you've seen the captain, you know, um, in Colombia somewhere with a beard living happily, please let us know. Head across to our Facebook page, uh, the discussion group at Loose Units on Facebook. That's uh, a super cool place to hang out. Also, make sure you grab tickets to our second our special matinee show in December. Go to thecomedyrepublic.com.au. Grab your family and friends and fathers and mothers and whatever, a copy of Electric Blue from Booktopia. Have a great week, everyone, and we will see you very soon for Loose Ends. Bye-bye. Cheerio. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.